Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 13, lucky 13, of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your other host, Jameson Dance. I like how you're always the other host. That's my, <laughs> that's my favorite. Uh, assistant to the host. <laughs> right on. Well, um, I have a little joke for you, Jameson. I look forward to these yeah. forever. <laughs> You know how you know how I'm always finding the word soft all over the place and then thinking about how it relates to soft skills? Yeah. Well, here's another one, and you have to answer the question, though. Okay. How is fabric softener like soft skills? Um, are you looking for, like, a serious answer? Like, <laughs> is this like an SAT fabric softener as, is to soft skills as? <laughs> as, um, I don't know. Cheese is to a hamburger. Ah, yes. I think what you're saying is your soft skills arsenal is not complete without fabric softener. Yes. <laughs> Bingo. That's exactly what I that's exactly what I was thinking. Do you just write down a thing with the word soft and then pretend like it's a joke? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to reveal how I do this. The okay. magic the magic is my secret. This is some performance. So like some some performance humor. We have been getting just an absolute influx of questions from our awesome listeners over the last week or two, and we have so many. So if we don't get to your question, I just want to say, don't worry, we got it. It's in the list, and we will eventually get to it. But today we've chosen two questions. Jameson, you want to kick us off with our first one? Mm-hmm. So what should you do about a boss, or in my case, solution architect, who won't push back to the client and just keeps sacrificing quality of the product to push more features out? Well, you have someone who's not pushy, is what I'm hearing. Well, they are because they're pushing features out. They're, <laughs> they're pushy to the developers, <laughs> not to the client. Yeah, so, so in other words, they say yes to the people with the money, and they say no to the developers that they're paying. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a couple stories about this. One... Um, a few, yeah, a, a while ago, um, I thought I was in this situation. And then I, my, my product kind of owner person could not be there in a call with the customer. And so I kind of took their place and I sat in on a call with this customer. And it was incredible how pressured I felt to just say yes to stuff. Uh, even mm. though I had been on the other end of this where I felt like, okay, this person promised all this stuff that it's hard to do and it's going to mess up the product and it's bad and we shouldn't do it. But just sometimes, the, for me at least, the, the physical act of like sitting in this call with this customer that's like, we need this, we're paying you, we want it, when can it be done? There was like this force to draw out two weeks. I don't just like draw some date out of my <laughs> mouth. Um, and I that actually gave me a lot more sympathy for people in this situation. Because before I was just like, eh, they're bad at their jobs. Nah, 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 nah. But it's, it's kind of a hard job to keep people who are paying you happy while also balancing the quality of the product. It's not really an answer. That's more like hmm, yeah. uh, some, some empathy might help you feel better about this, even though it might not change the situation. Yeah, definitely. I've been in that same situation. You just want to say yes. You know, here are the people yeah, with the money. Yeah. And, and it's not even so much that they're throwing money at you, but it's like, for me, it's like they, they're showing you their problem and there is a software solution and you're a software developer, <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah. I can solve this. Yeah. And and it feels good to tell them like, yeah, we'll do this. It'll be done at this time. 
Like yeah. you, you feel a little, or at least I, I feel this little like tempting reward to just like say this and they'll be happy. It'll make yeah. them happy right now. You'll be a hero. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then all you got to do is just crack the whip and make the developers do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dave, I think you talked about how you have something at, that you do at Hireview to kind of yeah. manage this problem. Yeah, so we have hundreds and hundreds of customers who pay us a lot of money each. And um, so we is have... Is this a humble brag about humble, how rich you are? Humble brag. <laughs> We've got <laughs> millions of customers who pay us billions of dollars each. <laughs> um, it's, it's going pretty well, you could say. <laughs> um, yep. And uh, and so we, you know, and we've been running this business for years now. And, uh, you know, every time you add a feature to the product, that introduces permanent costs that will never go away, that you have to maintain this feature, keep it working, and consider its relationship to other features forever. You know, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But the problem is when you need to make a change to the code base to continue supporting the growth of the product, that a product owner or product manager or customer will never ask you to do. Like, hey, if we upgrade our our FUBAR framework from version one to version two, we can get rid of all these bugs and we can remove some legacy code. And, and it's like, oh, well, a product owner will never ask you to go do that. So we have a parallel roadmap system where on the one hand, we have the product roadmap, which is a traditional list of features that customers want in priority order. And then we have what we call a technical roadmap. And this is a list of things that developers and operations people want in the product that a customer will never ask for. And so when a team is considering building a new feature, they also have to prioritize that feature against items on the technical roadmap and they reconcile the two roadmaps against each other and then decide what to work on. And this helps, I think, to give visibility to your product owner and in this case, the solution architect uh, or salesperson they won't, you know, they won't be interested in the details of the technical roadmap, but just seeing that there are things there that need to be done, uh, I think will help a lot to just write them down, put them in a list, make them so, reconcile them. Yeah. So just, just giving some visibility to the fact that there's all this stuff that, that mm -hmm. needs to be done. That's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And then we even rank the items with like, how likely is this to cause a outage if we don't do it or how likely is it to cause a bad customer experience or you know what does it do to our quality of life you know and then that's how we prioritize things and putting that kind of uh let's say labels on the items gives great visibility i think hmm. interesting um maybe another thing that would help is to kind of define it so to me um when when this question talks about a boss or a solution architect to me, that sounds like a product manager. It sounds like they're responsible for talking with the, the clients, with the customers, and deciding what the right stuff to build on the product is. And Oh, also, um, I, I want to interrupt there. Oh, also, sometimes a solution architect can be pretty close to a sales role at some companies. I've seen that happen. Hmm. So this well, could, we could be talking about a, almost a salesperson if, here. If your salesperson can commit to engineering deadlines, then there are horribly broken things. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a pretty deep problem that I think takes a lot of work to resolve. Uh, I'm going to assume that this is a kind of a product manager person who's kind of responsible for the team uh, and is not directly trying to like sell customers by promising features. Um, but, um, ideally what a product manager should do is they, 
they they have this cohesive idea of a product in their in their head and they take customer feedback and distill it into the product they're not supposed to be just like a, a clear i don't know a glass i don't know <laughs> uh, they're, they're not supposed to supposed to just pass customer feedback directly through to the developers if they meet with the customer and the customer says I need these five things, and then they come back and create five tickets and hand them to the to the, to the developers. Then I feel like they're not really doing their job. Um, but that is a way that a lot of people work, right? They just give the, what the customer said to the to the developers. Um, actually, I've had an experience working with a product manager like that, and it was really hard because um, you just felt kind of as a developer, you felt kind of jerked around by the customers. Like mm-hmm. they don't know what the right product is. They know what their problems are, and they they come with kind of built-in solutions to their own problems. Like here's my problem, and here's what you need to do to fix it. When really, what we should be doing is identifying their problems and combining them into a well-working, well-designed product. And and in this case, with this product manager, they just couldn't do that. They couldn't. Um, meet the customer's needs without just directly doing whatever they said. And uh, they, they actually ended up being let go because that's such a huge part of what a product manager is supposed to do. So I think maybe just knowing that that's not the way things should work <laughs> might be helpful. Um, that that ideally this person should be distilling feedback and, and giving a broad direction on what the product should be, not just telling you, hey, this customer wants this text field moved to the left. Like, here's yeah. your Jira ticket to do that. Yeah, exactly. I would also say that in this situation, um, we talked about having empathy for this role, but taking that one step further, I think it's important to understand the business side of the requests that are coming in. Maybe this, in this case, the person passing this uh this request down to the development team has a really strong business incentive to do that. Like, hey, this customer is offering us a million dollars and we're going to go out of business next month, <laughs> you know, like unless we take this deal. And, yeah. then, and then suddenly it's like, oh, well, I guess we do just have to do this, <laughs> you know, it's like yep. to, to stay afloat. Um, and so that's one thing I like as a developer to ask product managers and solution architects. It's like, tell us the business incentive for doing this feature. Yeah, and and... Again, if you're working with a good team, if your product manager is good, they'll they'll have a very clear case beyond they just they need this. This is what they said. Definitely. And another thing you can do as a developer to communicate in the language of the people who are interfacing with customers is to point out the uh, impact to your development velocity. And that's an agile term, but let's just think of it in let's just think of it as the speed at which you can produce new features that this kind of approach has. So, for example, if you start having bugs occur in the product at an increasing rate, that's making it harder for you to deliver new functionality to the customer. Um, you should point this out and say, "Look, the rate at which we're going here, and the you know, we're not pushing back, and we're not like considering these different angles on this feature, are causing us to introduce bugs into the product. That's then making it harder for us to deliver the thing that you want to deliver." which is what the client wants. So putting that in the language that your product manager or solution architect can understand is really, really helpful. Yep. And and that gets back to the business case for it, where if you explain like this is going to make it harder later, and and then they say, well, yeah, but we're not going to be alive later unless we do this, then then that's a clear answer, right? Like you you do the, the ugly hack that makes your code harder to work so that you can survive to clean it up later.
Anything else you want to say about this question? I feel like there is, but I'm, it's, it's, for, it's like forming in my mind. <laughs> I will stall by singing. <laughs> the hills are alive with the sound of music. Ooh, I like the falsetto. Thank you. Okay, you have purged my mind. I have nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that didn't that didn't like jumpstart your 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 brain into higher levels of thought. Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. All I've got is monosyllables now. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh. Uh. Oh yes. Here. Here's yes. Here is what I wanted to say. So, um, sometimes as developers, uh we get a little bit over-focused on things that don't actually matter that much to the business, but that seem to matter a lot to us. Like, I'll just yes. give a few obvious examples, <laughs> like semicolons. You know, like, yeah. let's say you're a JavaScript developer and you're like, well, we need semicolons after every statement, you know? And it's like, this is really important to me. Is it important to the business? No, um, probably not at all. And that's just a dumb little example, but it's... Uh, I think it's an important thing to point out um, that uh, it, it, it makes it makes a good example because it's kind of extreme. Um, but there's a lot of things just like that in the same vein where it's like, oh, if we upgrade to version 1.3, then all of our problems will be solved, you know? Or um, I wish we could change this hot new framework that just came out. Or, you know, and we spend so much time just kind of um, like fretting over these little details that at the end of the day don't actually make that big of a difference to the customer. So hopefully you're not on that side of the fence. So, so how does that relate to this? First of all, I agree <laughs> for sure. How does that relate to this question? Well, so like, let's say the customer is saying, I want these features now, now, now. And the, and the product manager or solution architect is saying, okay, I'll just pass them through the dev team. And the dev team is saying, yeah, but how are we going to upgrade our web framework if we, you know, build these features right now? <laughs> you know, like mm. that. It's like, it depends on what you're pushing back for. Sure. This will really cut into my Mario Kart time if I take on this additional work. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. And we that, can't have that. <laughs> let's hope that's not the case. <laughs> Morale will plummet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that was so, a bit of a, I kind of feel like that was a, a wishy-washy answer that we gave. So, <laughs> I, uh, get get a better product manager. That was one of the clear yeah. solutions. <laughs> um, the other, I think your your feedback was was good and also um, possibly easier to do, which is uh, give feedback that this will have a cost and mm -hmm. and it'll it'll slow things down in the future and that's definitely going to happen and make sure that that's an explicit trade-off that people are willing to make instead of yes. just, just do this faster, go. Okay, great. I think we answered that one. Question answered. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Eat the sandwich. All right. <laughs> Do you, okay. do you want to read the, the next one? Sure. This next one comes from a listener named Antonis. And he says, what's the difference between contract and permanent positions? One has a contract and one has a perm. Is a contract a haircut? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, it's like a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perm. I had a contract when I was a little kid then. <laughs> nice. Cool. I bet it looks awesome on you. So I know you have a giant list of stuff. Do you want to just list them off? Oh, sure. Let's dive into interesting ones. Okay, so let's describe, let's define what we're talking about first. Like contract position. This is like when a company doesn't really make you a full-time offer of employment. Instead, they give you an agreement where they say, we'll pay you X dollars per hour um, with like a maximum of N 
hours per week for a term of M months. Do you like all my algebra in there with all my variables? Yeah, I got it. I just put one for all of them. <laughs> um, and so that that's what it is, right? It's a, it's a uh, it's almost like when you contract out work to do like a home improvement, you know, like I'm going to pay you this many, many dollars per hour for the job. Um, uh, except it's, you know, you're a developer and you're doing work for a company writing software. So a permanent position is more like we're going to make you a permanent offer of employment. There is no end to this agreement in time that we are going to agree on right now. Um, but it's also at will. We could fire you anytime. Um, but then there's a ton of differences in what that actually ends up being, even though at the end of the day, you're writing code in both these situations. So contract, you will not have benefits. You will probably have a higher hourly wage. Uh, you will probably be the first person to get cut if budgets are limited because it's much easier to let go of a contractor than it is a full-time employee legally and from an HR perspective. Um, you'll have more flexibility as a contractor because you can just bail and you don't have to worry about losing benefits because you don't have them. You won't. You almost definitely won't get stock options or any kind of equity agreement. And I think that's kind of the chore stuff, like the housekeeping stuff. Is there anything else, Jameson, on that list we should add? Well, um, no, I don't think so. Not from the housekeeping. Well, I don't want to say no, because now someone's going to be like, you forgot about this. And we'll say, sure. oh, yeah. So, yes, there's more stuff, but I can't think of it now. Okay. Um, to me, the biggest difference is in the ownership. And, and this can be a two-edged sword. Um, if you are a full-time employee, you probably feel more uh, like commitment to make the product work and more kind of loyalty to the team. Like you want to you want your team to be successful and you, you want to like work hard and that can lead to you kind of bonding more and coming together. And it okay. can also lead to you uh, maybe um, kind of over exerting yourself a little bit and, and um, putting a little more faith in this kind of corporate institution that might just fire you at any moment than mm. is often healthy. And with a contract, you have the opposite where you can just like, it's really nice to be able to say, this is someone else's problem. And hmm. as a contractor, you're at like the very far end of that spectrum of this isn't my problem. Like I write this code that they tell me to write, I get paid um, yep. and, and everything else. There's a whole company responsible for all that machinery. Kind of the, at the end of nothing else, there, there's management, which is like everything is your problem. There's contractor, which is nothing is your problem besides this very specific thing. And then full-time employees kind of in the middle in my mind where yeah. you, you're invested and you care about what happens. So... You, you kind of want to make your space good for you and good for other people. Yeah, yeah. And that can be good and bad. It, it can be nice to not have to worry about a lot of stuff. It can also feel a little isolating um, that you're not kind of in the trenches with people as yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Um, one interesting thing to talk about might be like career progression as, as a contractor versus as a full-time employee. Oh, good question. How how does that affect it? Does that make sense? Yeah, like if someone's looking at your resume and they're like, oh, you spent the last two years doing contract work versus working for company X as a full-time employee, you mean? Uh, yeah. Well, also, I mean, sometimes contract work is like you're an employee of a company that contracts you out too. Oh. Um, I guess we didn't really talk about that. Yeah, like the agency model. Yeah. That, but but just in general, like it seems like if you're a full-time employee, there's a clear path to advancing your career. Like you kind of work there True. for longer, you get more responsibility, you solve yeah, yeah. harder problems, you help more people, and that usually leads to like raises and more responsibility. Yeah. If you're a contractor, they're not going to be like, no. okay, 
Mr. I don't know, some X number of dollars an hour, you design this giant new system that our company depends on and we will reward you handsomely for it. It's just like, right, right. you just kind of get stuff thrown over the wall at you. It's So as far as like managing your career progression as a contractor, I think it depends a lot on whether you're self-employed or whether you're working for a staffing agency or uh, any other kind of contracting agency. If you're self-employed, then it's just totally on you. And there's no way a company is ever going to sit down with you and be like, you're such a good contractor. We want to give you a promotion. And it's like, that just, that's not a thing, right, in that world. But in the agency world, your agency management could very well actually have a career plan uh, with you that you're working on. And it could be like, well, you're billing at this rate. We want to get you at a higher rate. We want to make you more valuable to our clients. Um, and they can help you progress and even provide training. Many of those contracting agency companies do that too. That's true. And and often for some projects the agencies do, um, it's not just one person kind of working on another team there's a whole team of people and then someone needs to kind of do the product management or be the tech mm-hmm. lead on that team. So this is advancement in the agency, but say you're just kind of a, you're, you're a solo developer mm-hmm. on your own doing contracting work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, what do you do to grow? You just say my rate increases by a dollar every week. <laughs> and then. Yeah, keep, I, keep I think going. that that kind of is uh, definitely the most obvious angle where you're like, can I get my skills to the point that I can bill at a higher rate? Um, and I think most contractors who want to do that have to change the kind of contracting they're doing. Because I think the market is pretty uh, fixed about just how much they'll pay a developer to do a certain job. You know, you're not going to get a humongous range in there. But, you know, if you can expand your contribution to say, well, I can also help you consult on, you know, this process development or organizational design or, you know, something else that's just, it's not just cranking out code by the hour. Sure. And I don't have any firsthand experience with that, but that's what I, that's what it seems like would be the case. Um, I have a little bit of experience with freelance stuff and I have observed what seems to me to be a larger range in hourly rate rates than in full-time employment as a developer. So I, I think you're a little bit wrong there, which is in, in that you can just charge a lot more money than some other people and some people will pay it. Um, okay. Like kind of in your industry, there, there are some outliers, but, but I would say the salary range for most people is, is within like, someone making double what someone else makes is about as high as, as most people get. Does that make sense? So you're saying like the most you could ever expect is like two X the minimum. Yeah. in in full-time employment at a company, ah, um, there, there okay. are outliers. If you work at some giant tech company in Silicon Valley and, and you're responsible for some very valuable piece of technology, but it, it seems like the range isn't that high, but I've seen ranges way higher than that in contracting. Oh, like interesting. 20 bucks an hour to like, $300 an hour just for, for development work. This isn't for like strategy consultant or, what, or anything like that. This is you just sit down and you write code for people. What was the differentiator between the 300 and the 20 in your experience? Um, experience of the person doing it. Uh, a was lot it a, of it was... Was, was it like a niche? Like this is the only human being who knows this technology in our domain? No, not quite. Um, they... It was more the relationship that they had uh, with their clients. Cronyism. Um, yeah. No, they were they were experienced and they were talented. Um, 
but they weren't like, what is that? I don't know, more than 10 times as experienced and talented as the person that charged 20 bucks an hour. It was more like they had proven over, mm-hmm. over time that they were worth that they were worth that to their clients and the clients were paying for certainty basically like yeah so they like had trust on this person yeah yeah like we'll pay a premium because we know that this person can can deliver it versus we could pay someone a third of that and then still be like a, a lot of money to pay someone but um we might not have as good of a relationship with them. Let's talk a little bit about comparing a contracting hourly wage to a full-time salaried equivalent hourly wage, because I think some people get sticker shock when they're like, oh, I'm making, say, $60,000 a year. That equates to about $30 an hour. But I see contractors making $80 an hour. What the heck, you know? And like, why? Why is there such a big disparity? Um... It's because you have to pay for everything yourself. <laughs> the The taxes are a lot higher generally. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to pay for your health care, mm-hmm. all your retirement stuff, all your equipment. Like there's a lot of overhead beyond the salary that you earn when a company hires you. Yes. And, and you take on all that overhead yourself. It's huge. I mean, you think you pay a lot of social security if you're a US worker, your your company pays that and I think more and they pay unemployment tax and they pay... Um, Oh, what's the other one? Ugh, I can't remember. Anyway, oh, yeah. Payroll tax? Yeah, payroll tax and benefits. I mean, some of these benefits packages can cost twenty to $30,000 a year uh, per employee, you know, depending on your company. Yeah. And so it's like, um, yeah, it makes sense that these wages would be a lot higher for, for a contractor. Also, I feel stupid that I said that because that's probably the smallest reason. The main reason is um, you probably aren't going to bill <laughs> uh, like what – 50 hours a week, two weeks vacation, 40 hours, mm-hmm. or sorry, 50 weeks a year, 40 hours a week is like 2,000 hours mm-hmm. a year. Um, and then if you just multiply that number times an hourly rate, it's like, whoa, that's a lot of money, even if I do have to pay my own insurance. But you have to factor in the sales time. You have to scrounge yep. up clients. And that can often be a huge percentage of your time. Like I, I've heard people say, that if you can bill consistently 20 hours a week, that's pretty good. If you spend oh. half your time working and then the other half kind of building leads. And that'll have uh, ups and downs. Very you interesting. Might have like six months where you're just working solidly and then you might have a couple months without a lead. You're just yep. not making money. So yeah, yeah. that's another part of it. So leaving the money topic for a minute, let's talk about mentality. Because I think as a contractor, it's really easy to get into the mentality of get in, get paid, get out. You know, it's like, I've got a feature to build. I'm going to write the minimal amount of code. I'm going to copy pasta where I need to. Um, I might make a mess of it. But at the end of the day, it's going to work and I'm going to get out. And then someone else can deal with the mess later. Have you seen that mm-hmm. in as a mentality? I have seen, I've worked in code bases that contractors built or worked in. And I've seen things that I I could explain by that mentality. I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but looking at the code, it certainly seems like they were just like, we get money, here it is, it's done. Like, wash our hands of it. Mm-hmm. See ya. Yeah, that, that's been my experience too. And I think as a contractor, some people like that. It's like, get in, get it working, get it to the customer, boom, get paid, we're done. Um, but some people would rather have more of a long-term vision where you consider the holistic picture of, I want to make it work for the customer and I want it to be great for my coworkers and I want it to be good for myself in 12 months when I come back and I have to work on this again. You know? Sure. Incentives are weird when you're a contractor too, though. Um 
I feel like with full-time employees, you already sometimes encounter this feeling that people have that are like, are they, are those developers actually doing anything? Are they just like screwing around and kind of wasting time on semicolons or are they getting features done? And then if you're paying someone hourly, it seems like that incentive would be even, or that, sus- that chance of suspicion would be even higher because you can just see the ticker go up. Mm-hmm. For every hour that a contractor spends yeah, on and you, you sign the invoice every two clean weeks architecture and unit tests and like you know that stuff is good but then you see like it took them twice as long to build it even though it's going to be way easier to maintain so that means it cost me twice as much money and mm-hmm. so I, I think that might be hard to justify as a contractor sometimes when they're paying for that extra time you're spending to to polish things it could be it could be it's like look i paid you to build this feature you know but as a contractor, that's probably a conversation that a wise contractor would have with the company to say, do you want this to be a maintainable long-term thing with tests and, you know, uh, high code quality and documentation? Or do you want me to just bang this out as fast as possible? Mm-hmm. And I can see companies being on both sides of that fence. Yeah. Um, I think one more thing I want to say is that often contracting is used as part of the hiring process, either like mm-hmm. formally or informally. Mm-hmm. Um, formally, some places will say, in order to work for us, we will have this trial period of two months or whatever where you'll be a contractor. And then we'll kind of evaluate it at the end of that and see if we want to hire you full-time or not. And then the informal way is just the hire contractors. If they really like a contractor, they might talk to them and and see if they're interested in a full-time position. So that can yep. definitely happen sometimes. Yeah, and that arrangement is sometimes called temp to perm. You ever heard that, that term used? Uh, no. Well, like, there you go. There's a word. Because it reminds me of the hairdo. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and then also I want to say that as a full-time permanent employee, uh, you are much harder to fire than a contractor. You know, with the contractor, you can just say, I'm not going to pay this contract anymore. And depending on the terms, you know, you might have like a six-month obligation or a one-month obligation. But you can just say, I'm not going to pay it anymore. We're done. Um, but with a full-time employee, usually companies go to much greater lengths to make it work out. And I don't know if there's if it's illegal reasons or what, but it is much, much harder. So if you are way more interested in stability, then generally, now that's not saying you won't be laid off tomorrow, but generally a uh, full-time permanent gig is going to be more stable. That's true. And, and that's another reason for the pay difference. You're, you're mm-hmm. giving up some money in return for stability in a lot of cases with full-time. Yep. Well? I think that's it. I can't think imagine that there's any other difference... Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. If there are any other differences, the fact that we didn't say them means that the world will change <laughs> to conform to what we just said and they will all be eliminated, all the differences. So true. Contract permanent. Question answered. We did it. Good we, job. We babe. did it. Gold medal. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what can people do if they enjoyed the show and want to hear more? You can go over to iTunes or I actually don't know where else you can do this, but you go to iTunes and rate the show uh, and leave a little comment to say what you liked about it. And that will greatly help our visibility and, or not visibility, what's the word? It will help our... Uh, our personal brand. That's right. <laughs> that's the word. <laughs> It'll help whatever it is we need to help to continue making zero dollars, producing this amazing podcast for you. <laughs> so It yeah. helps other people find the podcast. There you it go. It shows up higher in... in rankings or whatever yeah there's if you use an app that's not itunes or itunes related there's probably some way to rate or recommend stuff i actually use overcast there's a little star next to each episode i don't know what it does 
but I assume it does something. <laughs> I don't know what it so does, I, but you I, should definitely tap that star. <laughs> I tap it for episodes of podcasts that I enjoy. Um, if you have feedback on the show, on questions or, or comments that we make, or if you want to submit a question for us to answer, you can either tweet us or direct mm-hmm. message us at softskillseng on Twitter. Um, if you direct message us, we'll kind of assume that you want it kept private unless you explicitly say, and I'm okay with you sharing your name or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just add us on Twitter, we'll assume that it's okay to mention your name unless you say, don't mention my name. But then maybe uh, adding us on Twitter <laughs> isn't the best way because then other people can see it. True. But yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear, hear your questions or suggestions for the show. And if we missed something today or said something wrong that you'd like to correct or add, feel free to tweet at us as well and we will mention it in, in, uh, in a future show. Great. Thanks, everybody. Catch you next week.